The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Well, if I haven't seen you since the holidays, I just want to wish you a new year and hope that everything is off to a great start. I don't know how things were around your house during the holidays, whether you stayed here, had company, whether you traveled to see family. We had, our house had basically a revolving door of people through the holidays, like the weekend before Christmas, my wife's mother and her husband were with us. And then that weekend, they had extended family, all who kind of live here in the Houston area. They were over for a party. And then by the time that my mother-in-law left on Monday, my brother and sister-in-law came on Tuesday morning. And that was just crazy Christmas Eve type stuff. And by the end of Christmas Eve, my dad and his wife and her three grandchildren were all here and they were over at the house and it was one thing after another and after another, you've had those experiences where people come to your house or guests come and guests bring you these two really incredible gifts, right? All of the travel that they have to go through, all the expense, they give you this great gift when they come and then they give you a great gift when they leave And so we experienced these great gifts and what was incredible, what was great for us at least about this time was that there was still plenty of time after Christmas before my wife went back to school. She teaches school and before my girls went back to school and I took some time off and we did what we love to do in our house for about seven days in a row, which is absolutely nothing. Like we have... um, a loft on our second floor, which we call the pajama lounge. And you just kind of lounge in the pajama lounge. And I love those days where the biggest question you're trying to answer is when you are going to change from your night pajamas into your day pajamas. (laughs) And we do the same thing when we have these extended periods of time together. Like there are three things our family does. Like we binge watch things, We play games and we read books. And that is heaven to me. Like that is the perfect, like when I die, what do I wanna do for eternity? I wanna hang out with my family in the pajama lounge. Like that's what we wanna do. And so we were able to blitz through a lot of books and one of the ones that I found, actually the one I found most interesting was a book by a guy named John Ronson called The Butterfly Effect. Who pays the cost for free porn? And what Ronson is doing is like all of these things that exist in our culture, in our society, that are relatively new, historically speaking. Like, what does that do to us as a people? Like, what's the, what's the outcome of that? And so if something happens over here, what effect does that have on women and men in everyday life? And probably the most tragic story in the butterfly effect was about a man named John Gibson. And John Gibson spent his career as a pastor and a professor at New Orleans Seminary. And some of you will remember this. In 2015, there was a website called Ashley Madison. 
And Ashley Madison was a website where you could go and sign up, where married people could go and sign up if they were looking to have an affair. And they would be matched with people who were looking to have an affair. And you would fill out all of your information and your preferences and what you were looking for. Well, in 2015, a group of hackers hacked into the Ashley Madison website. They contacted the website and they said, you've got two weeks to take down this website or we're going to release all of the names and all of the data of everyone who has a profile on your website. And so the people at Ashley Madison, they thought, well, we're not gonna give in to hackers and this could be an empty threat. And we've got a whole business that we're trying to work on here. And so they didn't do anything. And two weeks later, the hackers released all of the names and all of the data of everyone who signed up for a profile on Ashley Madison. And even more than that, when they released the names, they released it on a website and made it searchable by zip code. So you could check to see if your neighbors were on Ashley Madison. And there were millions of people on Ashley Madison. Actually, there were actually just millions of men because the majority of the women on Ashley Madison were fake, they were bots. They were created by the company. And John Gibson, the pastor and seminary professor at New Orleans Seminary, was one of those names. And so when his colleagues heard about this, there was an immediate meeting called so John Gibson went to his kitchen table, wrote a note, walked into his garage, closed all the doors, turned on his car, lowered the windows, and waited to die. In the aftermath of his death, his wife said that he'd gotten to a place where he, he had struggled with addiction and depression his entire life. She knew it, their family knew it, but he had gotten to a place where he fundamentally believed that no one in the world would care for him or do for him the things that he would readily do for other people. And then she said this, she said, the shame of this really was just more than he could take. The shame was more than he could take. Ecclesia, if you were here last week, you know that Pastor Chris began us on a journey of walking through the Gospel of John. And not just the Gospel of John, but what John calls signs in his Gospel. And when you read all of the Gospels together, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they use this word that you're really familiar with. They use this word miracles. And a miracle is something that happens when a lame man walks or a blind man sees, when someone is raised from the dead. That's a miracle. John doesn't call them miracles. John calls them signs because signs are really different than miracles. Because when most of us think of miracles, like this is what we imagine, the world's kind of spinning and it's doing its own thing and everything's happening. And then something bad occurs. Someone has a diagnosis. Someone gets in an accident. 
and then we rally around and ask God for a miracle. Like, like things were going fine, but now we need a miracle because most of the time when we're not thinking about it, when things are on autopilot, we conceive of God as kind of an interventionist, that, that we will we'll call you when we need you kind of God. And John doesn't think that the world works that way, that these are signs and signs function differently in the world than miracles do because signs are always there and you just have to see them. Plus signs aren't designed just for the sign. Signs point to something beyond the sign. So like imagine maybe um, if you're driving and you get to a stop sign and you roll through the stop sign. Like you, you could do that a hundred times. And if there's no police, if there's no law enforcement there, you don't hit anybody, you don't get in a wreck, it'll be fine. But then you roll through one and there is law enforcement there, you might get a ticket. But the reason that you stop at most stop signs or most stop lights isn't because you need the stoplight, you like the stoplight, you're obeying the stop sign. You're obeying something, you're paying attention to something beyond the sign. And John is saying that when someone is healed, when some blind person sees, that's not just about a blind person seeing. That's about a God who heals. It's beyond the person. It's not a miracle. It's a sign. And so for the next month or so, we're going to talk about these signs in John, except for the weekends when we don't. <laughs> and this is one of those weekends. <laughs> and if you ask me why, I will tell you that when you get to make the preaching calendar, you can talk about whatever you want. <laughs> but we are going to talk about a story that happens between two signs. And it's a story I desperately wish that John Gibson from New Orleans Seminary had known. When John tells this story in John 4, Jesus is just traveling, but it's a story that we don't get, that you don't understand, that we don't understand. We'll miss the invitation and the offering of Jesus. This is what John says, starting in John 4. He says, now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, which is only a little bit embarrassing for John because John is actually called John the Baptist and he's coming in second place. And although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. Now, I don't know what to tell you about this because I can read English and I can read Greek and I can read a map and I know this, Jesus going to Galilee did not have to go through Samaria. Like that was not the course that he had to take. As a matter of fact, Jews went out of their way 
not to go through Samaria. They thought Samaritans were dirty people in a dirty land. They didn't like them. They thought they were half-breed remnant of unfaithful Jewish people. They didn't like Samaritans at all. And they had carved out a route and actually a faster, easier way back up to Galilee that didn't take them through Samaria. They wanted nothing to do with it because actually a thousand years before Jesus takes this trip, the Samaritans had built a temple on Mount Gerizim. And the Jews disliked them so much that they sent an army into Samaria to destroy that temple. Jesus does not have to go through Samaria. Jesus wants to go through Samaria. And this is what happens next. John says, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Now, if you've read this story before, there are some really odd things that you can pick up on already. First of all, not only do Jews not like Samaritans, Jewish men would never talk to a Samaritan woman or any woman in public if she weren't with her father, or her husband. Jesus is breaking the rules. Here he is, outside of town, standing by a well, and a woman comes and he starts a conversation. And the second thing that's odd is this woman comes to this well at noon. In the middle of the day, And we're about to find out why. John says this, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself? as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. And there you have it. Why is she coming? to a well 
in the middle of the day? Five husbands. And the one she got now ain't hers. Have you lived in the ancient world? And this well is well out of town? When you went to draw water, you would do it early in the morning or early in the evening for one simple reason. It's hot. She goes in the middle of the day when no one else will be there, where no one else should be there, where no one in their right mind would go because five husbands. You might remember we talked a little bit about this during Advent, that in the ancient world, a woman had no mechanism at all to upgrade her husband. Like if a, if a woman lost a husband, it was either because he died or he had given her a certificate of divorce. And so she has either buried five husbands or she's been given a certificate of divorce five times or some mix of those two. And now she has another man and he is either worried that she's not worth keeping or she's a black widow. Whatever it is, she's got a life that you wouldn't choose? And what happens? What does she get for this life of tragedy? Isolation and shame. She's a social pariah. No one wants to be around her and she doesn't want to be around anyone. The heat of the day is better than the heat of the community. And all of the things that she's heard said, whispered about her for a lifetime of tragedy, she gets the shame. And we live in a world where more often than not, It's the victim who bears the shame. And this isn't something you need me to tell you because so many of us have experienced it. It wasn't you who decided when you were younger and didn't know much about the world, it wasn't you who abused you was a parent or family member, someone that you trusted, but you bear the shame. It wasn't you who went into this relationship fully committed. It was him, it was her that decided to have that affair, but you, you bear the shame. It wasn't you who decided to spend all the money. It wasn't you who decided to blow everything up. It wasn't you who decided to run the company into the ground. But that's on your resume forever. You you bear the shame. 
five husbands. And in the well at the middle of the day, because the easiest thing to do when you feel shame is to hide. To not want to be seen. To live on the outskirts of your own life. And so it's just easier to go to the well when no one else is there. And then she gets there on this normal day, a day like so many others, where she's just getting the water that she needs, and there is Jesus. And Jesus decides to bring up the last thing she wants to talk about. How so very rude of the Lord. (laughs) Because the thing you don't want to deal with is the thing that Jesus wants to deal with. And that's why he keeps bringing it up. And that's a shock because many of us came to Jesus thinking that, oh, I will come to Jesus and Jesus will make all of my pain and all of my shame better. And he just keeps bringing it up. And you will only go so far, you will only develop so far, you will only go so deep as you are willing to deal with your own pain and shame. The thing that you don't want to talk about, the thing that you don't want to deal with, that's the thing that you have to deal with. That's, it's like going to the doctor and you've got a pain. And then you tell the doctor, oh, it hurts right here. And what does she do? She keeps poking it and says, is this where it hurts? Yeah, I just told you that. Because if you don't know where the pain is, you can't heal the pain. And this is how she responds. Sir, I can see that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped here on this mountain, but your people say that Jerusalem is the only place for all to worship. Which is it? Well, she wants to talk about worship. And I have been a pastor for 23 years, and I can tell you one thing for sure, that most of us would rather talk about anything else in the world than our shame. And so it's a lot easier to talk about your opinion about this or your theology about that, or I read this book and this thing's going on. No one wants to talk about that stuff. And so what does Jesus do? When she, he has brought up her five husbands and her sixth one that she's not even married to, he lets it go. He answers her question. This is what Jesus says. Woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when we true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The young woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. 
Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Jesus brings up her five husbands and she has this question about worship and Jesus answers her question about worship. Like, don't you wish Jesus was your therapist? They kind of bring up something that you don't want to talk about and you change the subject and he just kind of goes with it. Jesus allows her to not talk about her shame. but she does anyway. She leaves the well and races to town and says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. What are the things that you ever did? Five husbands. That this encounter with Jesus frees her to tell her story. And in telling her story, she brings people to Jesus. One of the things that slips past us in life is that the antidote to your shame is telling your story. As counterintuitive as it feels, because our instinct is always to hide. The remedy is telling your story. So last fall, I read a great book called The Soul of Shame by Kurt Thompson. And this is what Thompson says. He says, we are storytellers. We yearn to tell and hear stories of goodness and beauty. And this is the echo of God's intention. We long for our stories to be about joy, not just reflections of what we believe, but of who we are, who we long to be. But shame wants very much to infect every element of the mind in order to distort God's story and offer another narrative. To relationally confront our shame requires that we risk feeling it on the way to its healing. This is no easy task. This is the common undercurrent of virtually all of our relational brokenness. We sense, image, feel, and think all sorts of things that we never say because we're far too frightened to be that honest, that vulnerable, but honest vulnerability is the key to both healing shame and its inevitable anticipated hellish outcome of abandonment and preventing it from taking further root in our relationships and culture. And what Thompson's saying is all of that shame that you carry, whether from something you did or something that was done to you, 
the only way to break loose from shame is to tell the story of shame. And this is why I really believe that everybody should have a spiritual director, a therapist, and a small group. Because you need people that you can trust to tell your story to. And once you find it, you will discover that you don't need a miracle. This is your sign that all you have to do is tell that story and you will be healed. One of the fascinating differences between the Western wing of the Eastern church, of the Christian church and the Eastern wing of the Christian church and you see this in movies like The Passion of the Christ and others. In the West, when we think about Jesus going to the cross, we always focus on the pain, thorns and nails. But if you were raised in Eastern tradition, you would focus on the shame. And it's not that Jesus on the cross simply takes our sins. It's that Jesus on the cross takes our shame. Ecclesia, let me pray for you. God, we are grateful that you give us a path to healing. And would you give us the courage to step into that, knowing that you have offered it, that we as broken people can be made whole through your will and your word and what you have accomplished through Jesus Christ. And we give you thanks, God, that we are healed through your brokenness. And we thank you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.